remain standing, please, for the scripture reading, which comes from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. Christ himself suffered on account of sins once for all, the righteous one on behalf of the unrighteous. He did this in order to bring you into the presence of God. Christ was put to death as a human, but made alive by the Spirit. And it was by the Spirit that he went to preach to the spirits in prison. In the past, these spirits were disobedient. When God patiently waited during the time of Noah, Noah built an ark in which a few, that is eight, lives were rescued through water. Baptism is like that. It saves you now, not because it removes dirt from your body, but because it is the mark of a good conscience toward God. Your salvation comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at God's right side. Now that he has gone into heaven, he rules over all angels, authorities, and powers. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to be seated, please. This morning we're going to be continuing our sermon series where we're looking at the Apostles' Creed or the building blocks of faith, where we've begun to see and where we've been reminded that the Apostles' Creed contains 12 statements of faith that are all intentional, they're all chosen, and every word that comes in the Apostles' Creed is found in and based on the Holy Scriptures. And so the Apostles' Creed, according to its history and what we know about it, is it was derived by a great council within the church. That means that it's not representative of one denomination or one Christian faith. It belongs to the entire church throughout the entire world. And so if you look in our hymnals, there are, are different versions of the Apostles' Creed. There are also different affirmations that we have used and we do use in worship. It's like 880 is the Nicene Creed to like 887 or 89, I think, in the hymnal. And so by its definition, the creed speaks to the entire church. Where if we read affirmations and other versions or other affirmations, other statements of faith, they may represent denominations or groups, but they don't replace the Apostles' Creed in its entire message. Because it's historic. It's affirmed by all Christians, and it's been affirmed and applies to churches throughout history. And so this morning, our statement of faith from the Apostles' Creed is one that may be the least known statement of faith. In fact, we didn't even read it in this morning's version of the Apostles' Creed. Because it's he descended into dead, or depending on your translation or, or version of the creed, it said he, it either says he descended into the dead or he descended to the dead. This is the most unlo- unknown because if you look at our own hymnal as United Methodists, we have two versions of the creed that are printed. On page 881 is the traditional version of the Apostles' Creed that we've been reciting as part of our worship service for this uh, sermon series up to this point. And then on page 882 is the ecumenical version of the Apostles' Creed, which really they've just taken it and changed some of the language and made it sound more contemporary. But both versions, if you'll notice, do not say anything about Jesus descending into dead. And so I'd like us to begin this morning by asking ourselves, why do we not include this line in the Apostles' Creed? And if we're reciting it ourselves, do we think of that line in our minds even as we're talking it or or saying it together? Why do we skip over these words that Jesus Christ descended into the dead? So my opinion on this 
as I've thought about it and kind of wrestled with, and, and I'll be honest, this is probably, of, of all the sermons in this series, this is the one that I thought, well, we'll see how it goes. Because I think, to me at least, it has more to do, and the reason we don't include it, is it has more to do with how we talk about and how we are uncomfortable talking about death, necessarily, than talking about how Jesus descended to the death. I think part of it might be that there is a, a group or, or a belief in the church that, that is, I don't know how prevalent it is, but there's enough that teach about it, that, that they don't believe that Jesus physically died. And so how can we talk then in a creed, or how could, could those who believe that way say, the portion of the Apostles' Creed, I believe Jesus descended to the dead when they don't believe that that ever happened? See, I don't think the issue is not Jesus' physical death. I think the issue is just talking about death. And I think there's, there is that belief of, of people that, that physically, you know, they believe that Jesus didn't die. And so what they believe is that, that when Jesus went to the cross and once he was nailed on the cross, that God as a holy or divine being removed himself from Jesus. And so the Jesus that we saw or think about dying on the cross was just a physical body. Which kind of flies in the face and is contrary to what we've already seen in our belief of who Jesus was in terms of, of God being fully divine and fully human. Not 50-50 like your sweet tea at Sonic, but Jesus is both, 100%. And so we have to understand that Jesus was fully God who hung on the cross and who was crucified. And so I think the greater issue for, for why this line is not included in the Apostles' Creed. It's just that we're uncomfortable talking about and thinking about death. We're uncomfortable thinking about our own death. We're uncomfortable thinking about the deaths of our loved ones. We're um, uncomfortable thinking about the death of Jesus. And so talking about it is not something that we regularly do, except when we recite the Apostles' Creed, depending on the version. And then when we gather together on Good Friday, and or Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and then we gather together on Easter Sunday. Because if you think about it, you can read, about, read much of the scriptures and, and not read about Jesus' death until you get to those portions of the Gospels that talk specifically about his crucifixion, true? There are a few areas in the letters where Paul writes or where Peter writes or where some of the other authors write in the New Testament about the crucifixion of Jesus, but you can easily read it and, and just skip over those parts. But see, friends, I think there's a reason that the early church included this line and the Apostles' Creed, and that you and I need to wrestle with it ourselves. It's because the early church had an understanding on how important Jesus descending to the dead was. Especially when we view Jesus being a part of God's larger action in terms of what it means to offer us relationship as humans, what it means for us to offer sal what it means for Him to offer us salvation, and what it means for God to act in this world. And so the early church saw this period in the Apostles' Creed where they say Jesus descended into dead is the period between Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. Good Friday, we know, happened on a Friday, right? And then Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday happened on a Sunday. And so there is a Saturday in between there. And the early church saw the events of Easter weekend not as three different things. 
But they saw them as one continuous event that was basically paused and continued, paused and continued as each day you know, ended and the next day started. Meaning they didn't see the crucifixion independent from the resurrection, and they didn't see the resurrection as its own standalone thing without looking back to the crucifixion and seeing what happened in between. Basically what they say for, is you can't have Easter Sunday without Good Friday. If Jesus didn't die, he can't be resurrected, right? And we can't have Easter Sunday without the crucifixion and then Holy Saturday where we believe that Jesus descended to the dead before he returns again. I think it's important for us to know what, what the scriptures tell us about this place of the dead. In the Old Testament, it's called Sheol. You can see a, a picture of it up there. That's um, according to the Hebrew scriptures. And so it's kind of this place of in-between. And so in the Hebrew scriptures, there's not this, this idea of hell. As you and I think of it, as we look at the cartoons, as we see little men with pitchforks and everything else dancing around. Or the version of, of, of the underworld as we read in Dante's Inferno and other works and of art and books. And so in the idea of what Jesus is talking about is there's this place before Jesus came that is just this place that people go and exist. And so it's not necessarily a place of eternal punishment. It's not necessarily a place that we envision where people are, um, you know, tortured and all these other things happen. But it's this like place where they're held. And then Jesus is saying, if we couple what we're talking about today with where he's talked in the Gospels about saying that, that he's going to this place or he gives people who are there the opportunity to be in the presence of God. So why is this important? I think the first thing that we see and the reason that the church believes that this statement, Jesus went to the place of the dead, is because the scriptures tell us that he went there to preach the gospel. He went to the place of the dead in order to, to encounter the people who throughout time were waiting their full deliverance from God. In 1 Peter, our letter we read this morning, it talks about the, peop the people of Noah, right, that are waiting. And it's kind of unusual, actually, if you read that passage of Scripture and think, now why is this author, 1 Peter or Peter, writing to this church community and talking about Noah? It's because he's saying that Jesus descended to the dead in order to rescue even those who were faithful to God before Jesus himself came. And so there's this broader understanding in the Old Testament that, that the righteous and the wicked are in this place and that Jesus goes to this place to share the gospel to those who have passed, meaning he goes to offer salvation and saving to, to those who have died but have not yet heard the gospel. They had not received forgiveness of sins. They had not received the opportunity to hear the gospel proclaimed, and so therefore how could they have, have shunned the gospel or turned away from it? And so these are the people that have come before the time of Jesus. They've come before the message of Christ. And 1 Peter says it this way, Christ died for the sins of all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you God. He was put to death in the body, but made alone in the spirit, through whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. So what Peter is saying is that after the crucifixion, Jesus died and he went to the place of the dead. He preached to those who had not heard the gospel, who hadn't lived during his time. 
And so there's this theological understanding where Jesus is called the second Adam. Has anyone ever heard of that phrase? No? Yeah? Some of us? What that theological belief is and what we proclaim that in the Apostles' Creed is that Jesus even rescued the first Adam from his sins. From the sin he committed when he and Eve ate the the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That Jesus even rescued them. And so what Peter is telling us is that God offered salvation and forgiveness and righteousness even to those people who lived before Christ himself. Friends, is that not a God of grace? The second understanding of Jesus descending into the dead is to show us and to remind us like we talked about in the children's sermon this morning that death as we see it in terms of the world is not the end. And so he wants us to see where the creed causes us to think that that even Jesus descended to the place where all those who have died had gone and he had complete and total victory. And so by his sacrifice, by his descending into the dead, Jesus showed us his power over Satan and all the principalities of evil. Where the world thought that the crucifixion of Jesus would be the end of it. And what we learn and what we know as Christians is that the crucifixion was the beginning, wasn't it? Because it was all part of God's plan. Meaning Jesus died with each of your names on his lips. And Jesus went down to the place of the dead so that we might all have eternal life in the resurrection. In his letter to the Colossians, Paul articulated his understanding and that of the early church of the triumph of Jesus. He wrote this. He destroyed the record of the debt we owed with its requirements that worked against us. He canceled it by nailing it to the cross. When he disarmed the rulers and authorities, he exposed them to public disgrace by leading them in a triumphal parade. So what is Paul writing to the Colossians? He's saying that Jesus destroyed all of the records that held you away from God, that hold me away from God, that would keep us from truly being able to gather here in this place and worship God together. According to Paul and according to the gospel of Jesus Christ, friends, all of those things have been wiped away because God loves you and because he sent his son Jesus to die for you. There's a third understanding of the church of why we say this phrase that he descended into dead. Because it unites Jesus with saints, not just from his time, but from all time. In Ephesians 4, 8 8 through 10, Paul writes additionally his understanding of what it means for Jesus to go to the dead. And he says, God has given us his grace to each one of us, measured out by the gift that is given by Christ. That's why scripture says, when he climbed up to the heights, he captured prisoners and he gave gifts to people. What does the phrase mean, he climbed up? Mean if it doesn't mean that he had first gone down into the lower regions, the earth. The one who went down is the same one who climbed up above all the heavens so that he might fill everything. Do you hear what Paul's saying? Paul's saying that Jesus couldn't have ascended or climbed up into heaven to seat at the right hand of God without having gone down. And to offer life and to offer forgiveness and to to extend the opportunity of relationship to all people who have been faithful and lived in response to God even before his time. So here's the big question. 
What does this mean for you today? I think it's important, as in I've thought about it, because it reminds me and it reminds us that either in life or in life beyond death, we've all been offered the gospel of truth and of love of God. I think what it means to us is when you're talking to people who say, well, what about Jesus and those who, who uh, came before Jesus? Are they, you know, what happened to them? I think we can look to the scriptures in this creed and we can say, well, Jesus went to preach to those who did not have the opportunity to hear, to hear his message from his voice or from his apostles or from his church in the last 2,000 years. This means that there is no depth, no darkness, no nothing that is too far from that which God's Son has come into and entered. This means that no matter where we are, no matter where we feel we might be, we can be assured in the knowledge that God himself has gone into whatever abyss we might be facing, whatever problem that's before us, whatever uh, hurts that we are experiencing. We can be assured in knowing that Jesus has experienced and felt all of these things. Friends, that means there's nothing that you can experience that Jesus doesn't share in. He's even felt separation from God himself. He's faced the same temptation we face, and he's been there to carry the gospel to even those that have not heard him. But yet, even in all of these things, he's still the one that paid the price so that we might have a relationship with God who is our Father. As we think about this this morning, I want to end with another word from Paul's letter to the church in Rome. In Romans 8, 35 through 39, Paul continues to wrestle with this question because this is the question that the early church wrestled with and it's a question that we wrestle with. Where basically he says, who can separate us from Christ's love? Will we be separated by trouble or distress or harassment or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, we are being put to death all day long for your sake. We are treated like a sheep for slaughter. But here's the words of grace. But in all these things, we win a sweeping victory through the one who loved us. I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not death or life, not angels or rulers, not present things or future things, not powers of height or of depth, or anything else that is created. Because Jesus himself descended into death and he offers us redemption. And that's the hope that we receive whenever we recite the Apostles' Creed or profess in his name or gather together. Amen.